Well, good morning. Please forgive the hat, but I did get permission. The sun is just brutal up here. But yeah, uh, so Shannon and I were sitting around. We did get a, a message that uh, looked like uh, Aaron was blown out his appendix. And I'm like, oh, that's really bad. That's a, that's, that's a bummer. And then I saw, as you read down the text, it was like, can you please be prepared to fill in? And I was like, okay, this is really, really bad now. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, isn't it awesome how God gives us opportunities in life to trust Him? And uh, we uh, really miss out when we don't take advantage of those opportunities uh, to do that. So this is one of those opportunities, and I'm grateful. We're going to be looking at uh, Philippians chapter 2. We'll get there eventually, but I was thinking about... Um, marriage and when I got married and uh, it was quite a long time ago um, but I remember how uh, want to make sure I get myself on the timer here um, otherwise I'll have you here all day and I know you don't want that sweet I was thinking about how much I was really anticipating getting married some 28 years ago and how excited I was about it. I know, I'm old. Um, but what I was excited about wasn't so much the ceremony, right, getting married. I was excited about spending my life together with Shannon. It's like my brother had a great quote. He said when he was getting married, he said, I, I don't want to get married. I just want to be married because the whole process can be uh, quite stressful. But I was thinking, how odd would it be, right, to, to, to get married, to have that ceremony, right, say your vows, and to have the pastor pronounce you man and wife, and then from there go back and live individual lives, right? That would kind of defeat the whole purpose. But really the point is when you get married now, that, that ceremony has really changed everything in your life. It will never be like it was before, right? All of us married people, we know that. That's like this line of demarcation. Everything changes at that point. And now you have become one with somebody else and you live your life in that context. In the same way, when we are united with Christ, we are born into a family and we are united with each other. And it would also not make any sense for us to be united with Christ and live in division with one another. And that's what I'd like to talk about this morning. And if you walk away with anything, I want you to walk away just with that one big idea. That because we have been united with Christ, as a result, we must pursue unity with each other, okay? Because we've been united with Christ, as a result, we must pursue, actually pursue it. Unity is that important. And Paul has words about that for us, and I'd like to go ahead and, and take a look at that. Now, it's always difficult to dive into a book right in the middle, right? It would be so much easier if we had gone through chapter one and now we find ourselves in chapter two. 
but we don't. So I just want to provide a little bit of context for us so this makes even more sense. So the Apostle Paul had been in Philippi on his second missionary journey, you can see in the book of Acts. And while he was there, he was proclaiming the gospel. People were getting saved, people like Lydia and the Philippian jailer. We've heard about these people. And, he's, and Paul is discipling people there, and he's raising up leaders, and he's planting churches, and then he's moving on. He actually went back to see how they were doing on his third missionary journey. But now, where we find ourselves here, he's writing a letter to this group of Christians in Philippi from a Roman prison cell. And you can see clearly as you read through the letter to the Philippians, the kind of relationship they had. Paul deeply loved this church. Paul had intimate relationships with them, and they cared deeply about him. As we look at the book, let's just look at a couple passages to kind of get a flavor of what their relationship was like. Chapter 1, verse 3, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Over in verse 25 of the same chapter, we read, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. As Paul thinks about these people, it's with joy. Like, he loves them. You can just, like, feel it as he talks about how when he prays and he has all these memories of their time together, and he's so proud of them. They're doing so well. This is an encouraging letter. This isn't a letter like some where you get a harsh rebuke or a lot of correction. Um, this is a letter of encouragement where Paul's saying, man, I love you guys and you are doing so well. I'm so proud of you. Look at uh, chapter four. Specifically, verse one, he says, I love and long for my joy and crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. What an amazing text. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. When was the last time you received a text like that from somebody that wasn't your spouse? Okay, wait. When was the last time you received a text like that from your spouse? Okay, that's better. But, but you can see in this passage that he's really pouring his heart out, that he cares deeply about these people. This is really an uncommon type of love. This is something that really should be a demonstration um, in the body of Christ and something that should be normal, right? I love how the psalmist says in, in chapter, uh, in Psalm 133, says, Behold, how good and how wonderful it is when brothers dwell together in unity. 
The unity we have with each other is the result of the unity that we have in Christ. And Paul knows that they have this, and he wants to encourage them to continue in it. I personally am very grateful for the kind of community and the kind of fellowship and the kind of unity that we have here at Union Church. Because it is a blessing for myself, for my family. I know you're blessed by it. I see God's love demonstrated by how we serve one another and by how we love people that come. I see this happening here uh, as a result of what's taken place in our lives in Christ, and it is an absolute blessing. So I want to dive into the passage uh, for this morning in chapter 2. And he says, Philippians 2, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So as I said, context is very important, and he starts off in this passage with the word so. Right? So the word so could be like, therefore, or because this is true. Right? And so it begs the question, what's true? Because of what? Really, this passage is anchored in verse 27 of chapter 1, where he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So we see here that to live a life worthy of the gospel is to, li to live our lives in the context of the body of Christ where we have unity, where we're one, right? We're striving side by side. It's such a great word picture for us. Think about the, the marriage illustration, right? And so it, it makes no sense to, to say that, you know, we got married but live our lives right in with division with rancor and with turmoil the fact that we got married shows that we are one and we are to continue to live our life that way but here's the thing that does not happen automatically right that is something that must be pursued that's something that, mu that we must care about it's something that we actually must value if we're going to live in unity we must value it and paul is telling the philippians hey because you're in christ right? Unity is something you should pursue because it's so important. And we're going to talk about why that is. Now, he gives a list of four bullet points here in this first verse. And, and the, the first point on your outline talks about being united with Christ. And the reason that I want to really emphasize this is because this is kind of foundational, right, for being or having unity with each other. Okay, being in Christ is necessary and foundational. It's the, the wellspring of unity that, that we have. Because our love for one another, 
my love for you, your love for me, is not based on the fact that we have such incredibly great qualities about us, right? That isn't the basis or the foundation for the fact that we value unity, that we're pursuing it, that we care about each other, even above ourselves. The basis and the foundation is being in Christ and being united with Him. And it's important that we understand that. So these four bullet points, that we have encouragement in Christ, that we have comfort from His love, that we have participation in the Spirit, we've been given the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to work in our lives, and we have even affection and the sympathy of Christ in an ongoing relationship. This is a description of the blessings that we have in Christ. Are those good blessings? Are we grateful and are we thankful? But in the context of this passage, here's what I want us to really think about. Our union with Christ is not something that is just individualistic. Okay, we're tempted to think that way, that I become a Christian, united with Christ, I'm in Him, and I'm saved. I'm a Christian now. I have heaven is guaranteed, and now I follow Him. And that's true, right? But at the same time, it's important to understand that when we're born, born again, united with Christ, become a Christian, when that happens, we are born into a family. We are not just individuals. And I think one of the things that people have the hardest time with, generally speaking, is that concept. That when it comes to being a part of the family of God, we are actually individuals and, and church is something that I go and attend because they have things I need. I need to hear preaching. I need to hear good preaching. Something I receive. It's important that um, I engage in worship because that's important. If I have children, it's important that we have good children's programs. These are things that are important, right? And all this is true, right? But that's very, very, very different than being part of a family. That's just like attending a family event, not being actually a part of the family. And so when we are united with Christ, we actually become part of a family in the same way that when your child is born into the world, that child is now part of your family. He doesn't, you know, come into the world and say, hey, I'm glad I'm here. This is great to have life. I'm going to kind of bop around and see which family I like best. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll see you in a while or maybe never. Or we'll see what they're having for dinner. I used to do that when I was a kid, right? A friend would invite me over for dinner. What are you having? Call mom. What are you having? And then I decide, right? I think that's reasonable as a child. It's not reasonable as a Christian. So in the context of being born again, of being united with Christ, we are part of the family of God, and that is lived out in the context of the local church, not the universal church, which we will see clearly. So I want us to really just kind of understand this first point about being united with, with Christ in the sense that this is something that when it takes place, we understand that as a result, I am part of God's family, and therefore it's very important that I pursue unity, which is the second point, that we must pursue unity. Now look at Philippians 2, the second verse. He says, in light of verse 
1, which is anchored in verse 27, right? Living a life worthy of the gospel, which is exemplified by our unity together and striving with one another. He launches into, into this second chapter, talking about the fact that you are in Christ. Here are all the benefits of being in Christ. And then in verse 2, he says, Now, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind or purpose. That, that statement in the ESV, being in full accord, literally means to be one-souled. And you can see in verse 27, you can see in our passage today, this flavor of really, you know, complete unity to the point where it's like we're actually the same person, right? Having the same purpose, thinking the same way. This is, this is what should mark us as a community, right? This should mark us as the body of Christ because we have the same head right? Being in Christ. So now we're many parts, Paul says to the Corinthian church, but we are one body. And this is extremely important because it's so easy to become divided. It's so easy to fall prey to our preferences and our opinions and things that aren't important, but yet can still cause division. It's just our nature. We want what we want and we don't like it when we don't get it. So, why is this so important? I mean, it seems like the Philippians are doing pretty good. Why is he making this a deal? And I think he is because we're all susceptible. I mean, we live in times right now that are crazy. I have never, in my old life, I've never seen such division and conflict and, you know, all just butting heads. I've never seen anything like it this bad. And we, as the church, we as the body of Christ, we as the family of God, we are to exemplify something radically different than that. And this difference is a light to the world that we live in. But why is unity important? I think scripture gives us really probably a lot of reasons. I, I chose three that I just want to address real quickly. Um, one, because it's important to Jesus himself. I find it very interesting that in John 17, when Jesus is praying prior to his crucifixion, these are his words. He says, I do not ask for these only, here he's praying for his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. Jesus also knows that we are very susceptible to division, to not being unified. Now, I thought about a, an example that I've experienced in the fire station. For those of you who don't know me, I spent over 30 years doing that. And we had a phrase in the firehouse. It was called doors up or doors down. I may have talked to some of you about this. But doors up has to do with when you get a call, you have an emergency response, and you go out on a call. So you're out doing your thing, right? Whatever the issue is, that's doors up. Doors down is when you're back at the firehouse, you're not on a call, and you're just kind of doing your thing, whatever that might be. So here's my question. 
What do you guys think, which situation, doors up or doors down, would be the most potential for conflict between the guys? Doors up? Who says it's doors down? Raise the hands. You guys are so smart. Doors down. Yeah, when we're out on a call, that's like being on mission, right? We're out doing our thing. We have one purpose. We're thinking about one thing. We know what job needs to get done. We know why we're there, and we're helping each other to do it. No bickering, no complaining, only helping each other. If a guy falls, we pick him up. If he needs something, we help him get it because we're all on the same mission, right? Doors down, whole different world. So when I was a captain at the, at the station, I would get things like this. Hey, Captain Banks, um, Joe's not doing his cleanup, man. He's lazy. Guy, he's supposed to be cleaning the kitchen. He does a terrible job. Or Captain Banks, can you tell Tom, he, the TV he just plays it way too loud. You know, we're trying to sleep and he, this is the kind of stuff I hear. This is the kind of stuff that, with, that, we, that causes conflict and division when doors are down, right? Um, we, as the church, need to function doors up on mission. Because when we're on mission, that's what Paul's talking about here. That's what he means in verse 27 when he says that we are all striving together for the faith of the gospel. That because we are in Christ and his values are our values, and I care about who he is and what he wants, and I care about the, my family, the body of Christ, encouraging them to do the same, the preferences and the annoyances don't cause division because it's not nearly as important. And Jesus knew this in John 17. That's why he says, Father, help them and those who will believe as a result of their ministry to be one as we are one because this is going to be difficult for them. And it is. Is it not? At times, it can be difficult. I asked my son the other day, I said, hey, why, why do you think it's so difficult to be united with people, to sh show them preference? He said, it's pretty simple because we like ourselves better. And I said, well, well said. I think that's it. Um, so, so the first reason that, that unity is so important is, is because Jesus truly cared about it, and so we should care about it as well. He cares about his body, his church, his bride. We should care about it as well. Second important reason is because it's important, really, for the, the health of the church. So if you go to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, it's a great passage I'm sure we are familiar with, but he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And then he goes on to talk about how the parts of the body work together. So it's just such a incredibly great picture for us about how we as the church family are to function, right? We are many parts, 
but we're part of one body working together because there's one head. And that's why that first point is so critical that the foundation of our unity is the fact that we're in Christ because we are all part of one body and he is the head. And so in the context of church, which biblically speaking, whenever you read about the church, it's almost always talking about the local church, not the church universal. Because we can't work out these things. We cannot strive together for the gospel if we don't know each other, if we're not involved in each other's lives, if, if we don't know what we're going through. I said to some friends the other day, a good test you know, for all of us is when it comes to our uh, being a part of the body of Christ is if we just quit showing up, would anybody know, right? I mean, they should know. If, if somebody in my personal family just quit showing up, I would like immediately know, right? And, and, and that happens here, which is so awesome. I've had people give testimony like, yeah, I was like 10 minutes late and people are calling me like, where are you? You know, I think that's so cool. I think that's so cool because people care, because people notice, because when you're involved in the family like that, we know what's going on. We know when things are off. We know when people need help. We know when people are struggling or sharing those things. And, and the point is that we need, the body of Christ as a whole needs you, right? And you need the body of Christ. It is a relationship working together. So it isn't just obviously I go and I hear a great message and I'm like, oh, that's, that's, that's awesome. The body of Christ is the work where we're actually doing body ministry. We're involved in each other's lives and that can only happen, right, in, in a family context. So, so, and without unity, that doesn't happen, right? If we're, if, if we're in conflict, if we're fighting over preferences and opinions and things like that that don't matter, then we're not caring for each other. We're not showing deference to one another. We're not loving each other. We're not being gracious to each other. And that's what we need to be doing for each other's well-being, growth, strength, protection, and care. So the third thing, it's important to Jesus. This is all under point two, by the way. It's important to Jesus. It's important as a church for, for our well-being. Three, it's important for the world to see. One of the most sobering passages to me has always been in John 13 when he says, Now, by this, people will know that you are my disciples. Okay, when I hear statements like that, I perk up. Like, okay, this is going to be good, right? This is how people will know. Oh, is it because I, I could, you know, really know the Bible well? Right? Is it because I don't use profanity? I mean, what is it? right? No, it's by how you love one another. Really? People will recognize that I am a disciple of Jesus by how I love you. That's amazing. There was a, a famous Jewish historian in the first century that made the statement. It's, it's a well-known statement at this point, but he said, uh, those Christians, it's like, um, it's like they love each other before they even meet. The kind of love we're talking about here is uncommon. It's unusual. It's kind of weird. It's something that makes people turn their head and go, what in the world? Why are they doing that? Why do they act that way? Why do they care so much? Right? And it's because of what we have received in Christ. 
that gives us an affection and a love for one another. And this is something that the world sees. And when they see it, they take notice. And they say, that's amazing. They must be Christians. And that's what I want for us. That's what I want for all Christians. But here at Union Church, I want us to be people that the world identifies. We are a bright light simply because people recognize that we love each other in an unusual way. He says the same thing in that passage that we read in John 17 about being one. I didn't read the end of the verse. It ends up like this. When he talks about being one as the Father and the Son are one, then he says that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's a powerful testimony. It shines an incredibly, incredibly bright light to the world when they see our unity. On the other hand, we've all seen the devastation when the world sees the opposite. And so Paul encourages them. Jesus values unity. He knows you need it. Your health as Christians in the body of Christ depends on it. And it will be a powerful witness to the world as they watch. Finally, the, the third point is really Paul's strategy for how to do this. And this is where we get into the, wor the world of just being countercultural something that is probably so simple, but when it comes down to it, it's not super easy. Back to our passage. Let's look at the last two verses, verses three and four. Basically, Paul says, here's the strategy. Here, here, here's how to pull this off. <clears throat> Verse three, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. By the way, just a, a caveat, this whole idea of humility is what he impacts from verses 5 through 11 where he talks about the incarnation and how that demonstrates the humility of Christ, which is the example we follow if we're ever going to be able to pull this off, right? We're not going to talk about that at all. Um, but I want you to know that it's there, and that humility component is critical and essential if we're going to be able to do what Paul is saying. And what he's saying here is just follow Christ's example in how he did that. So... This is interesting. He says basically, he says it in verse 3 and verse 4, he says the same thing almost twice, but he says, I want you to consider others' needs. I want you to actually consider others to be more important than yourself. That's easily said. And I don't think there's probably anybody that would really disagree with that, but when it, the rubber hits the road, that is quite difficult. And so this needs to be something that we value. If we don't value unity, if we don't value uh, this type of, of love that we've been talking about for one another, then we'll never be able to pull this off. We need to be intentional and purposeful about how important unity is in our marriages, in the body of Christ, with other Christian friends, right? This, is this needs to be something that we've, we value that is important because it's important to Christ. And so he says, here's, what, here's how you do it. I want you to consider others above yourself. That's kind of hard. Even on a 
a small level, right? I was thinking when we have uh, dinner at home sometimes, Shannon loves eating dinner in the backyard. Sometimes I like to watch a movie. Shannon hates to watch TV while we eat. And so, you know, it's like, okay, so who's going to win, right? Now, I know that's silly, but come on, most of our arguments are over something that's silly. And so I want us to get into the habit of showing deference for somebody else because the passage is so clear. Consider others and their needs above your own. That's how you're going to pull this off. That's how you're going to maintain the unity that is so amazing the world will look at it and go, that's really weird. So sometimes I win and we sit and we're going to watch a movie. But you know, when we watch a movie, there's a certain spot on the couch that's the best spot. And I like that spot because it's, it's like in the corner spot and it has a little table and I can set my drink there. And so I want that spot. So sometimes I get to watch a movie and then I get my favorite spot. But then we have to decide on what we're going to watch. And we have different opinions about what is a good movie. We won't even get to the dishes. All right. I know this sounds silly, but let's start there. Let's, as people of God, as part of the body of Christ, value unity so much that we're going to say, I consider the needs of others more important than my own. Right? That is, that is supposed to really mark the Christian community. I saw a, a, uh, a post on social media that is a person that I know that I haven't seen for a long time, and he's a Christian, and he was posting something. And basically, the, it was like a five to ten minute. I couldn't watch the whole thing. It was too frustrating. But it was, the whole thing was about how important it is to love yourself. How important it is to love yourself, right? If, if God, in his divine providence, worked out this appendix scenario so I could be up here, I think maybe it's just so I could say one thing. That's wrong. To focus on loving yourself is not biblical, all right? Here's what's biblical. Die to yourself, now that's biblical. Love God, prioritize people, value unity. That is a biblical message. Love self, nobody has to be told that. Now, when people are saying, hey, it's important to love yourself, I guarantee he had lots of affirmation. If he had had a post that said it's necessary to die to self and value others, he would not. That will not be on a greeting card, guarantee. You know, there is, there's nothing on a greeting card that says Christ calls us to die, right? But that is the biblical message, and that's how we pull this off. And I guarantee you, this will be tested for many of you before you even get in the car to go home, right? This is an everyday thing. Every single day, we're called to look at people and say, I value you. I care about you. Your needs are more important. But to actually do that, to not get what we want, can feel like a near-death experience, can it? But that's what we're called to. I'm grateful for the community that we have here. I'm grateful for your love for me and my family. I, I am ecstatic to be able to, to pour my love out on you. This is a wonderful community, and I'm grateful for it. And I want to continue 
as a church family to grow in that regard. I want us to be a demonstration of the unusual and uncommon kind of love, right, that is seen by the world around us and is a bright light that demonstrates the love of Christ that he has for others. Amen? Let's pray. God, I am uh, so grateful for your word, so grateful for the work that you've done in me, calling me to yourself. I am very thankful for the love that you have poured out on everybody here, that you have made us your own, that we are part of your body. And I ask that more and more, you will enable us by the power of your spirit to show the kind of deference and love and value unity the way it's communicated here in your word. We worship you this morning. You are so good and so patient and so kind. We love you. Amen.